Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and the Big Apple in New York City, normally, but my co-host Adrian Gruber can't make it today, so forget about the New York part. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, and we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, Platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, and a whole bunch more. <laughs> In fact, we're voted uh, to be number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM. Very proud of that. Number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60. And number two on uh, CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Living between miracle and despair, medicine and miracle, and how they intertwine. Dr. David Chatka is the founder and director of Spirit Equip Ministries, an organization designed to help you grow your spiritual disciplines one small step at a time. His latest book, Healing Power is God's Idea, co-written with Reverend Dr. Maxine Dunham. Dunham, right? You're almost right. <laughs> How do you pronounce her name? It's, well, here's the book. It's called Healing Prayer. I've got to get it right for this screen here. Healing Prayer is God's Idea. And it's a man by the name of Maxi oh. Dunham. Maxi Dunham. I get my, this is not working we very well. Call him, we should call him Max so that people don't. You could do that. That would do the job. Yes. <laughs> Number one Amazon bestseller. Good for you. Before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Beating the Burnout Blues. Melanie Mullins is a cancer survivor, former registered nurse, successful entrepreneur, business management consultant, and now an author, and many, many more. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one, on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our 26 global networks I mentioned earlier. Uh, all right, enough of that. David, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you. It's good to be. It's a joy to be here. Oh, it's a joy to have you. And I always like to ask my guests, just who is David Chakta, and why was he placed on this earth? Oh, well, there's lots of reasons for that. <laughs> you should ask my wife. She'd give you a better answer than I would. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I am a, uh, a Christian pastor. I have been in the ministry since 1983. And uh, I have been, um, I've been at the, I'm on this podcast in particular because I have a daughter who has special needs. Mm. And uh, I'm mm. also somebody who's on this podcast because I have seen the miraculous and I've seen despair and I've seen them side by side. <laughs> And when you and I spoke together, uh, we spoke about how there's this interplay between these two realities. Yeah. And I think that's common for a lot of people. But, but I've been a Christian pastor since 1983. In fact, I just did a special event right in the place where I started. Way back uh, in 1983, I wound up going to a student ministry charge that I <clears> served <throat> there. And just up the street, I did a special event in church. I got to visit where I started. So that was kind of fun. And where did you live? I'm living in Windsor, Ontario, and okay. right on the border with the United States. In fact, if I'm 100 yards from the U.S. border. If I get out of my house and walk toward the, 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 the border, I can stand on the Detroit River and look across the other side. Wow. Why don't you quickly tell us 
why you're a caregiver, how you became a caregiver, because, uh, you know, you've got an amazing story and uh, you can always find someone who's got, a, got it harder off than someone else. And uh, I don't know, in my opinion, you've got it pretty hard, but with God's help, uh, we can do all things. Go ahead and let us know. Well, actually, the story starts when I married my wife. She uh, had muscular dystrophy. Her mother had muscular dystrophy. Her sister had muscular dystrophy. And now her niece has muscular dystrophy. Oh, my. And uh, the story started that way. And, hey, the girl loved me. And I had to decide if at the end of my days I would push a wheelchair or if I'd find, you know, I I wouldn't pursue the relationship. And she was the first girl who ever just loved me as I was. Never met anybody like her. Mm. So, of course, we married. Uh, we We had a son. Uh, that set my wife back considerably. We did not know that she had a congenital liver defect and it caused her to lose significant ground. My son was supposed to be born blind, um, paralyzed. Uh, he was swimming in Billy room and the, 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 the Billy room wasn't coming out of her liver. Her liver shut down when she was carrying our son. And uh, all the medical team said, you might want to consider not having that child. It might imperil the life of your wife. Of course, she re- it's one thing for a guy to be pro-life. It's when, when he's saying things. It's another thing for a woman who's carrying a child that could ruin her ability to live. And she is pro-life. And she said, whether I live or whether I die, I'm going to see this child born. And uh, we didn't, in fact, have our son. And here, here was the miraculous thing. We had, we had him two months early. Everybody expected that he would be one pound, that he'd be blind, that he'd be cerebral palsy. He was four pounds, five ounces. He came out without with, with actually probably talking out of the womb. He had these big blue eyes, just like his mother. Wow. And he gazed at the doctors like this. And they all said, <laughs> oh, he's got a big head. He looks just like you. <laughs> at any rate. That started the life. My wife lost a lot of ground. So we adopted our daughter. And what we didn't know when we adopted her was that our daughter had muscular dystrophy. Oh, wow. And it wasn't diagnosed until she was in grade uh, two and she was eight years old. And then we discovered that she had been adopted into a family with muscular dystrophy. So, so that's really how I think God knew that, right? Well, I believe there is this thing called providence. There is this thing called miracle and there's this thing called despair. And they all intertwined on this one. Because in the course of, so my son actually manifested with the same muscular dystrophy as my wife. And so I was pastoring a church and trying to make a living. And you, I don't know if you know this, pastors are not usually multimillionaires. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. The first churches that I served didn't pay very well. Uh, the last two that I served gave me a decent wage. But by then, and I'm still got a mortgage on my house because my wife could not work because she was giving care to uh, my son and my daughter and my daughter manifested with muscular dystrophy. She, she was a professional teacher. She could not become a teacher and t- give care to our daughter at the same time. In fact, my daughter is now in, in the special needs program at St. Clair College here in Windsor, learning how to cook. Uh, she has the intelligence of a grade three-year-old, even though her body is 23. Mm. And so we have to be careful with this. But I mean, I have to tell you this. I've, just, I've seen the miraculous. Uh, my wife was cured of muscular dystrophy when we had a visiting bishop come to my church. Uh, my congregation was going overseas because North Uganda had been ravaged by two madmen, Edia Min and Joseph Kony. Now, I don't know if you know any of the history there, but it's not pretty. It's not pleasant. I don't want to go into the details, but it had been a war zone for fully 20 years. And so my congregation, together with two other congregations in the U.S., one in uh, New York City, one in Atlanta, 
we teamed up to try and form teams that would help rebuild North Uganda. And so we took build teams with us. I taught pastors and leaders. We did outreach events in those things. And these three churches worked together to do this. We took turns traveling to that area. Well, my congregation wanted to hear all about what had happened, how we wound up making this connection. So we brought the Ugandan bishop to my church. And Dave, you have to know this, this story to this day continues to put goosebumps up and down my spine. It's in the, uh, the Healing Prayer is God's Idea book. It's the last chapter. I sent you a copy and I sent you the medical verification note because I want your audience to know that this was attested before and after my wife did in fact have something called FSH muscular dystrophy. And four years after this thing that I'm going to describe happened, our medical doctor who'd been watching her carefully wrote a note and said, there's no trace of this anymore in your body. It's been four years. You do not have muscular dystrophy anymore. And all the way by by the way, to my son. So here's what happened. He stood up in the church and he was telling this incredible story about the role of the church with the Ugandan army and kicking out Joseph Kony from that country. And it was one, uh, you can see there's no hair left. It was a hair raising tail. (laughs) A whole congregation was paying special attention to this guy because the story was spectacular. And so the Saturday night congregation came again Sunday morning at nine o'clock and doubled the size of the nine o'clock congregation. And the nine o'clockers wanted to hear more. So they showed up at the 11 o'clock service and the church was jammed to the rafters. It was absolutely no room to stand. We were all shoulder to shoulder. In fact, I had to sit right up against the steps that led to the pulpit because there was no room in the church. Extra chairs were there. There was standing room only across the edges. And we had a spillover area where people were hearing a broadcast over this, over the radio. I was only a few feet from this pastor. He had a thick, thick, thick Ugandan accent. And he had been involved in organizing prayer partners for the Ugandan army when they were doing battle with Joseph Kony. Now, that was so they would get these downloads as they were praying about things that were supposed to happen in those battles. It was remarkable. He was telling, and as they would get these downloads, the Ugandan army would defeat Kony. He organized 300,000 people to pray while the army fought Kony. And when the army told those people who, who were praying what was going on, the Ugandan army would win. When the intercessors did not pray, the Ugandan army would lose. They'd drop their weapons and run. And Kony would restock with the, the ammunition and arms from the Ugandan army. So everybody's listening to this story. It's an incredible thing. And we're sitting on the edge of our seat. And in the middle of it, when everybody's waiting for the climax of the story, he stopped. He looked down at me. And he said, David. What is M.A.? I said, M.A. Master of Arts. I don't know. (laughs) And he said, no, no, I have something wrong. And I spoke, I had something wrong. He put his head in the pulpit. Of course, the church is filled with people, jammed to the rafters. They're all waiting for him to say something. And we're all waiting. And he looks up and he says, it's a wasting muscle disease. It starts in your head. It goes down into your shoulders. Your shoulders become rounded. It begins when you're 16 or 17. Your shoulder blades go out of position. You get chronic pain. After you get chronic pain, you start losing muscle control and you get dizzy. And it was like he was reading a textbook describing FSH muscular dystrophy. It was astonishing beyond measure. He nailed it. And then he said this crazy sentence. Whoever has this, and at this point, I'm, I'm realizing he's talking about my wife's muscular dystrophy. 
I turned to look at my wife and she's sitting in the chair. Now, she had not been able to raise her arms higher than this for 30 years. And just up, she couldn't get above her shoulders. In fact, when I proposed to her, she had to put one arm or had to lift one arm on my shoulder with her hand and put the other around me to say yes to the marriage proposal. This is, and this at this point was more than 20 years. She, uh, she, I'm looking at her and he said, whoever has this, Jesus has just healed you. And her arms went above her head straight up in the air for the first time in 25 years. Wow. And, you know, we had friends sitting there who had cleaned our house when I couldn't clean the house. We had, we had all kinds of people sitting around us as they watched this amazing thing happen. And she wasn't even aware that she'd raised her hands in the air. She was just so caught up in listening to this guy. She was hardly aware that she'd just done something that she'd not been able to do for 30 years. So we had guests who'd come because they wanted to know if they should go to Uganda to help us with our work teams. And so we went back to our house and the plan was that I would go onto the top shelves and take down pots and pans from these top shelves uh, and uh, then help her cook because she couldn't raise her hands. And she climbed up herself, started taking down these pots and pans and started growing muscle tissue. It was the most incredible, astonishing thing. Uh, I used to have to go stand beside her to get her out of bed in the morning. And then she would give me her hands and I would lift her and put her hands on my shoulders and I'd pick her up to get her out of bed to get her to the shower so she could have hot water on her body so that she'd be limber enough to be able to move. And the next day she jumped out of bed. Uh, A week later, she ran up the stairs when my, you know, when she was disciplining our daughter. (laughs) It was, so, I mean, I saw this miraculous thing. She was healed. And the the doctor wrote a note. You have the medical note. I sent it to you. So for your listeners, this, and this was a guy who trained doctors. He belonged to the Stollery Hospital in Edmonton. I was serving in Spruce Grove, Alberta, which is a city just adjacent to Edmonton, a large city of 1.1 million Northern Alberta. And that was a very, very, very fine teaching hospital. He trained the interns from that school. He was a fine, fine physician. Anyway, he, he waited because he wanted to make sure. And he, got a med- he wrote the medical note fully three and a half, almost four years after the healing had occurred, after he'd been our doctor for four years before that. So it was amazing. But my daughter was not healed. We have prayed for her to become well just about every day of my life. And there's not a day when I don't say, oh, God, mercy. So why does God heal some and not others? I believe in mom- healing. Yeah, my I wife am. had a stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. Yeah. 25 years now, she still can't talk. She can communicate. Thank God for that. You know, because it's 80% of communication is nonverbal. And she's in her power chair. So we travel all over the world. And she's very happy and content. And if God wants to heal her, great. If he doesn't, great. So why, uh, why some and not others? Everybody wants to know. <laughs> well, and nobody knows. <laughs> That's a, but so let, let me give you an example from the Bible since we're talking, because you prayed as well. You're a Christian believer as well. Uh, if you read John chapter five, the story of Jesus going into the temple of Solomon and there in Solomon's portico, there's a sick ward. And there would have been literally hundreds of people waiting for the stirring of the waters. Right. And if this, the water stirred, the first person in the water got healed and they were all waiting around. Jesus sees one guy who'd been sick for a long time. The number, I think, in the Bible text is 38 years. Mm. He heals that one guy, 
and doesn't heal the rest. Now, to try and answer that question, I would need to have like 16 interviews. <laughs> what I could say to you is, there is this thing called miracle, and there is this thing called holy mystery. And the two of them have to be held in creative tension all the time. And I have stopped trying to answer the question you have just asked, because I don't see the answer inside the pages of scripture, and I don't see it in the readings of church history. I see people attempting to say it, and sometimes the answers are cruel or misinformed. Sometimes they're unintelligent. Sometimes there's principled reasoning involved in answering the question. But when the day is done, you have miracle and you have despair inside this thing called the fallen creation, and they're side by side. And the only I, the way I say this pastorally, in fact, let me just tell you what just happened two weeks ago. I was in northern Saskatchewan doing a conference in a church. And actually, as it turned out, it was 30 miles from where I started off as a student pastor in a town of 200 people. So I got to visit my old startup place, et cetera, et cetera. And there's nothing there. <laughs> you know, that 40 years ago, I started there. And I went back to that church and all the, the town is almost closed. The church is gone. So it was a very kind of despairing thing. But the town up the street, uh, Tisdale, is, was still there. So there was a lady there in a wheelchair. And uh, this, is, this is as fresh as two weeks ago, and I got a note from her yesterday. So this is as current as it gets. She had had a spinal surgery seven years ago. Something went wrong in the spinal surgery. Her back was damaged. Her spine got distorted and twisted. And she started to have chronic pain 24-7 from the moment that that surgery ended. She was in an electric scooter. Her husband, and they're both in their 70s, her husband was, was pushing, this, pushing her around when he had a, an ordinary wheelchair, but she got adapted to this electric scooter. And of course, in the north, there's a lot of snow. And so they would, he would have to accompany her to the car and get her into the car and to be careful about ice and snow and those kinds of things. Anyway, I come to that church and they, have, they wanted me to do two Sundays because uh, they're without a pastor and I'd booked in this event and they said, look, just cover the pulpit one Sunday, do some midweek things, teach your elder board, you know, do a Bible study and then do your conference Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then to preach again. So I did. So it was seven, eight days of watching this lady. And here's what happened. She and her husband came forward and we started to pray. And the only way I can describe what happened was this sense of power flowed down my whole heart filled with compassion can i say it that way a hot tear in the corner of my right eye began to flow i began to sense that something significant was happening my hand got fiery hot while i was praying and there was an elder and his wife a guy named darren and his wife Catherine, and the youth pastor's wife named rochelle comes over and as we are praying and I didn't want, you know, when, when I pray with a lady, I always never pray alone because that's called stupidity. <laughs> and, and when you put your hand on a female, you put it on her head or her back and that's it. And if you want some other area to be touched, you bring a lady along. And so those two ladies were there. And so one of them put her hand on her hip. One of, I had my hand on her head. And as we prayed, this fiery presence filled my heart, my soul, my mind. I felt this fiery heat go in and it went down her spine. And she got up out of that chair and she walked around pain-free for the first time in seven years. That just happened two weeks ago. And uh, of course, I prayed with four other people and it didn't happen to the four others. It happened to the lady. Now, if, if I were God, and of course, I resigned from being Messiah some years ago. <laughs> 
<laughs> if I were yeah. God, I'd go, I, I'd fly myself down to Los Angeles or New York and I'd just put my hand in all those sick people. And the only, the only hospitals that would be left would be maternity wards. I'd heal all the sick people. I'd get them all better. <laughs> but for babies, well, that's fine. Let's have lots of babies, you know. I guess it'd be a birth So control. you're not that guy who says that everybody can get healed. And if you're not healed, there's three reasons. You don't have enough faith. You're ignorant of the word. And what was the third one? The third classic one that you're uh, sinning. You're sinning. Oh, yeah, there's sin in your life. Yeah, no, I don't see you're it. not no. that guy. No, absolutely okay. not. And that's the reason why I wrote the healing prayer book. Yeah. So uh, actually, the book there is a about- lot of those uh, preachers in the 70s, uh, you know, faith preachers and the prosperity preachers. And and uh, boy, that was an infection of the church. Not that God can't do that. But, you know, God is sovereign. He's still God. He can do what he wants to do. And you know, his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. And unfortunately, we've, we've, uh, we're, time flies when you're having fun. We are out of time. Oh, <laughs> and that was a fast interview. Um, uh, in the next two minutes, uh, since I have so many questions, but why don't you take a couple of minutes and talk about what you absolutely want to talk about before we uh, sign off? Well, what I wanted to say in the, in the interview was that uh, God initiates and we respond, and we can't control when God's initiates. We can always control when we respond. Mm. And there are signals that we need to pay attention to when the movement of the Spirit is beginning. And that's why I wrote the book. And I don't, I'm not a prosperity gospel guy, but I am somebody who believes in supernatural power and that the Lord is the one who sends it. Mm. We have to learn how to pay attention to that voice. And so that book, Healing Prayers, God's Idea, is actually a primer to teach people how to do that. It has a whole series of th- steps that you can take to pay attention to the signals. And it warns about the crazy ditzy guys. <laughs> it also yeah. it warns about what you need not to do. Uh, you name three of them. There's actually eight of those things in the book. Really? <laughs> yes, there are. And so, but my intention, I, I co-wrote it with a guy named Maxie Dunham, who was one of the editors of the Upper Room. So very famous. Oh, publicator. yeah, yeah. And uh, he's, he's a guy who wrote 47 books. And he, both he and I had the same 47. concern. 47, wow. Yes, he's written 47 books. This is number 48, and it was, a co- it was his very first ever co-write. See if I can get it to work on it. There it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, very first ever co-write with me. And um, what he said is we have to teach the church how to do prayer for healing and to pay attention to the signals. And so that's why the book Healing Prayer is God's Idea was published. And so it's available on Amazon. You can get it. The, the title is Healing Prayer is God's Idea. It's a short read. It's 65 pages. And it has a picture of my daughter in her wheelchair, and it has the story of my wife's healing in it. And the two of them are side by side. So how's your daughter doing? Does she have a perfect, um, uh, you know, a mentality? She has a memory and she uh, is yes, aware she, of, of everything she going loves, on? She loves to laugh. Although <laughs> this particular kind of myoton- is called myotonic dystrophy, has an intellectual degeneration component. And so her cognition is not as it was. And because her face muscles don't work, it's hard to hear, understand her when she speaks. But she makes us laugh all the time. And she loves people. And she loves her pet dog, Jazz. She, she insisted on naming the dog. So the picture in the back of the book is her walking the dog, going around the corner with her wheelchair. And uh, she is joyful about life, doesn't see anything beyond the fact that she has to take care of this immediate need. And she keeps this focused on the fact that life is to be celebrated every moment of every day. And I'm sorry, your wife is is uh, doing okay? My wife is healed completely. Yes, she has wow. no trace of muscular dystrophy in her body at all. That was in 2009. But she's happy about that. Uh, not not just her. <laughs> yes. In fact, for a while, her sisters couldn't believe her because one's a medical doctor 
and the other is someone who has muscular dystrophy. So have people who saw the healing, who witnessed the healing, have they come closer to God or, or no? Most. Not no, all of them. No, no. And I'll tell you who. who, who what, what, what does it take for someone to get close to God if they see a miraculous healing and that won't even do it? You know, I, I think well, Jesus said, well, uh, in his parable, you know, uh, Lazarus will send someone to speak to my brothers, you know, because uh, they're going to go to this place. He was in Hades, you know, yeah. and he says, no, uh, even if someone came and rose from the dead, they won't believe, you know, and prophetically. Well, here's the reality. Um, when Jesus did signs and wonders, there were two responses. One was, wow, isn't that astonishing? God's visited his people. And the other was, let's kill him. <laughs> those two, and those two responses have happened when there's been signs and wonders when I've been preaching and teaching. Amazing. And Some so things never change, do they? No, but the 90% will say, isn't that amazing? This is incredible. And those who are vested in things being as they are will fight you. Yeah. And, and those who have people who have not been healed and don't understand and want to believe in God, but believe in a God who did it yesterday, but not now, will fight you because it means God's not just. And there's this pain in their spirit, and they have to navigate that. Um, and maybe you should do another interview. I feel like I'm just getting started. <laughs> yeah. So your book is on Amazon and it's yes. called, um, it's called healing, healing prayer, prayer is, is God's idea. idea. That's the easiest way to find it. And just you, it, it's, and there's uh, you can Google my name, C H O T K A, but that's hard, but healing prayer is God's idea. That's easy. All right. Well, thank you so it. much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you are a great guest. And again, a reminder that all our shows are become recorded podcasts and video casts on our platforms that I mentioned earlier, like YouTube, blog talk, radio, Podbean, and many more. And don't forget to check out my membership website, caregiverdave.com. It's a free membership support community with lots of tools, resources, free gifts, as well as a Facebook page with the same name. And please click the like button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, because it helps Google with their algorithms so that more caregivers can uh, watch the show. And thank you again for making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. And until next week, thank you so much and God bless you. Bye-bye. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Anytime we suffer loss, we grieve. And a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial, 
I don't believe this is happening. Anger, oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening. To a form of bargaining, how can I get out of this? To depression, which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide. And then finally, finally, after you realize you have no more control over your situation and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings, that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing.